The Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Miles Danhausen Jr. and uh, I'm joined today with Deborah Fitzgerald. Deborah, welcome back to the Pod Closet. Oh, thanks, Miles. <laughs> the Pod Closet. I like the way that sounds. Yeah. That's uh, what is that called? It's not alliteration. It's when vowels assonance. I you like are way ahead of me on this one. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> the Podcast Closet. They both have the same O sound. Podcast Closet. So it's like an, I think it's called assonance. It's, an, it's amazing sometimes when I think about the fact that my career is as a writer and I really don't know anything about it. <laughs> well, the only reason I know about it is because I studied French. I never would have learned anything about English unless I studied French. Did you spend like 20 years in different colleges? I did. Because you have like a lot of oddball knowledge. That, <laughs> <laughs> and you'll always be like, well, I studied that. Like, <laughs> I should have spent, I could have spent that long. Yes. But it was, I, I mean, French was, I did actually four years of French. I was considered literate when I got out. And yet I realized as soon as I went to France that I was only literate in the Alsace-Lorraine region, which is by Germany. And the further west I went, like toward Normandy, I really was not fluent at all. I mean, couldn't understand what they were saying. But anyway. I'm nearly literate in Wisconsin. Yes, so am I now. <laughs> I mean, that's what happens. You don't use it, you lose it. Well, today on the podcast, we got a few big topics to cover. We're going to hit on some business stuff. We're going to hit on some Egg Harbor stuff. I guess before we get into that, it is Fall Fest this oh, weekend. As right. we record this, it's Friday Almost noon. The rain is coming down, but it looks like the rain is going to clear up for the parade tomorrow, which is big news for me because I'm driving a tractor through the parade and I don't want, it's going to be cold anyway, so the rain would make it freezing. But yeah, and it is a big weekend. And he's only a two-year tractor driver. I just want to put that out there. Yeah, we want the road dry for me. <laughs> I think there's a story in this week's Pulse that headlines something like how I almost killed the Rhythm Chickens. <laughs> so I last year I got enlisted by the Rhythm Chicken to pull. It's and the Rhythm Chicken is, I'm sorry to interrupt, but the Rhythm Chicken is. We have to explain that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's not. Let's not. Uh, the Rhythm Chicken is a legend who, uh, who comes out of hiding every once in a while to play in a parade and then sometimes to just show up on a street corner, wail on the drums for like four minutes and then disappear. And the reaction on people's faces when this guy shows up Calls himself the Rhythm Chicken. He wears a rabbit head. It makes no sense, but it makes perfect sense. One of my favorite Rhythm Chicken stories was 20-some years ago, my husband's days. So this is how long the Rhythm Chicken has been alive. Oh, he's like 25, 30 years maybe. And it's not always the same Rhythm Chicken, right? No, it's the same one. It is. It is still the same hat, I believe. But not the same Rhythm Chicken. The Rhythm Chicken changes? No. The character of the Rhythm Chicken? Same guy. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. The chicken has played in front of Wrigley Field where there's a great photo of him getting accosted by the police or the police doing their jobs, one of the two. So he um, wasn't invited to play <laughs> yes. at Wrigley Field. Um, he's played many bathrooms, including Husby's and the Sister Bay Bowl. Hmm. An illustrious career. I once words. acted as his roadie for a couple of shows in Chicago. That was an experience because they don't have as much familiarity with him down there. <laughs> so up here when the Rhythm Chicken shows up, 
there are a, a certain number of people in the crowd who don't know what's going on and have like this jaw drop look, but a lot of people are cheering. In Chicago, it was mostly just the jaw drop look of like, what the heck is going on and why is this guy wailing on the drums in the middle of this bar? And that's only testimony to how unique the Rhythm Chicken is because in Chicago, you really have to be weird in order to stand (laughs) out. Yes, and he sticks out. So last year, I got to drive the tractor through the parade and I did not grow up on a farm. I've ridden on hay wagons. I'd never driven like an old school tractor before, but it's actually Freddie Kanako, the Polka King's tractor. Fuzzy Sundstrom gave me like a 45 second tutorial on how to drive it. And then right as the parade started, I kind of popped the clutch and almost sent the rhythm chicken flying <laughs> off the back of the manure spreader that he plays in. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know that I had done that until like the whole crowd just went like, Ooh! and I look back and I see him like scrambling to, <laughs> to like get seated again. Excellent. So, yeah, I was like, oh gosh, just keep him alive down the hill. Don't run over kids. Um, But yeah, I picked up the tractor last night, actually. So now you have experience. You have a whole year of experience. And then did you ride the tractor? I don't know. Do you ride or drive a tractor? Drive. Drive. Okay. So did you drive? Hope on a tractor. (laughs) Did you drive the tractor from where you picked it up to your house? Yeah. So it took me about 45 minutes. Oh, well, then there you go. You're even more experienced now. I go pretty slow because I do not. There's a lot of play on a steering wheel on an old tractor. Oh. You know, I don't want to break this thing. This is like Freddy's legendary tractor. And also like it's got to make it through the parade. Hmm. But yeah, it was cold. It was cold last night. (laughs) It's open air. There's no like cab on this thing. But It was cool. I gained a whole new appreciation for people who drive through the parades and especially on old tractors because you're like, wow, you come around that corner and it's, I don't know what that number is. They pull, pull it out of a hat. I mean, nobody's ever done an official comp, but if it's 5,000 or 10,000, whatever it is, that path looks a lot tighter when they're Mm -hmm. all like coming in, grabbing candy and you're just like, oh man, Mm. I hope this thing stays in control. (laughs) What time does the parade start? Uh, 11 a.m. Okay. Well, and the rain is supposed to be gone by then. It's going to be windy, I think. Yeah. But no rain. Should be so fine. it's supposed to clear up by then. I think so. You know, bring umbrellas, bring rain hats. Bring. I mean, it's rain. Yeah, you know, it's not like on. it's going to kill anybody. They had to switch from having a Ferris wheel to a carousel. Last second change because uh, with the high winds, they didn't want to put a Ferris wheel up. Oh, um, that would but. seem to make it more fun. <laughs> yeah. Better views. Right. For, for the few seconds you're up there. I drove through today, this morning, and all the t- it's amazing, like, just how much is actually going on and all the stuff that Louise and Ellie at the Sister Bay Advancement Association have to do to pull it all off, setting up like the big arts and crafts fair. and Which is big. I mean, they have like 70 some vendors. Like, yeah, hundred and some. I don't know. It's, really? It's massive. You know, they all have their little tents. So you got to make sure that they're safe and aren't going to blow away. They put up a big straw bale wall. But then there's so much more. Like as I get older, I realize, you know, my, my formative Fall Fest years were like, all right, we're drinking at Husby's and listening to music. Right. You know, here's Bloody Mary. And that was like. And you'd venture about 50 feet from that. Your radius was about 50 feet. You are not like wrong. Between the bowl and the Husby's. Bowl, yes. Husby's. I remember that. Maybe yep. I'd get halfway down the hill. And now both like being older and, you know, learning more of the history behind it. And you realize, oh, in addition to that, there's this huge, the Lions Club fundraiser and their booth and how the money they raise and the fish boil that they do on Friday nights and some of these other nonprofit booths. I was setting up a, a nonprofit booth for Selfish Plug here for the, the Sister Bay Ice Rink this morning. They'll be selling some stuff on, in the middle of town. So if you want to support the ice rink, stop by the booth. It's right in front of the door hotel. Then on Sunday morning, the fire department is expanding. They do a pancake breakfast on Saturday mm-hmm. morning, which is another big fundraiser. Now on Sunday morning, they're going to do a special breakfast, pancake breakfast for the Derby riders. Oh, cool. So there's 28 people. When we started the Derby race two years ago, there were seven riders. 
now there's 28, so I imagine I'll be announcing for basically all of Sunday because it's going to take a lot of runs to get them down the hill. But those guys at our planning meeting last week, I find out that they're doing a whole breakfast for the riders and oh, that's going to cool. kind of parade them in and the riders and their parents and stuff. Do they flip the pancakes onto your plate like they do at the Bailey's Harbor pancake breakfast? Over? I don't know if they flip them. I mean, I, truth be told, I've never made it to a breakfast on Fall This Oh, well, <laughs> hopefully you'll be able to do that this I've year. I've never made it to a breakfast that wasn't hair of the dog on a Fall <laughs> 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 well, you have two opportunities this year, so yeah. you have a better chance. But no, it is cool to see just all the different ways that people step up and do stuff for kids, do stuff for the older folks, do stuff for the party. It's kind of crazy. When I, I, I was just thinking of that, just driving around this morning and all the stuff that's going on as they get ready for this thing. Yeah. And it is such a different perspective when you are a participant versus somebody who's actually helping to put the event together and knows all of the, you know, different parts that go into it because really you want people to come and enjoy themselves and you don't really want them to see the stage. Yeah. You know, you don't want them to see the, the stage, the work, the you know, setup. yeah. People putting the, the fear about the weather, You're like all week people are just like, gosh, uh, this weather stinks. And I, my approach was like, it's not going to rain. Yes. What good does it do me to like assume it's going to be terrible? Like if it is terrible, I'm just stuck in it anyway. So, I'm just going to pretend it's going to clear up and exactly. maybe it will. And we are officially in a moderate drought now. So <laughs> before it was very dry. Now we're in a moderate drought, which really stinks. So just say that. Yeah. It might be raining, but we're in a moderate drought. It's yeah, a really, it. really awesome thing. Yeah. We need yeah, this rain. Exactly. Put out the rain barrels. Yes. So you can all. go out and celebrate the rain because we desperately need it. And, you know, I know there's a lot of people who... We have some in our office who badmouth the tourists and who badmouth the no. uh, the festival and the crowds. And uh, But it's harder when you walk around and you see all the effort that's going into it, whether it's Louise and Ellie, like I mentioned, like it's, whether it's James and Chad at Husby's or Paula and everyone building their stages and, and booths and the nonprofit groups and the arts and crafts groups and Chris Hecht at the fire department and the Lions Club guys. And you go like, you know, you can be flippant and, and badmouth it, but like when you see all the work that those guys are doing... It's like, all right, this is millions of dollars coming into our community. That's a pretty good thing. And we're going to be begging for it in February. So, mm. <laughs> <laughs> March, definitely. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. Okay. Well, good. Fall Fest this weekend. Fall Fest tangent. There you go. Yep. We have all the schedules, a cool video about Fall Fest on our website, all the live music times and, and who's playing where. There's so much live music. So that's all on the website. Everything you need to know is either on the website or in our paper. So let's transition to something else in Sister Bay. Yeah. And that's Sam Watson. Sam Watson. Our reporter. Go Sam. We still get emails all the time. We still get asked how she's doing. Still love hearing that. And we try to pass that all on to Sam. And she's doing well. So how are we doing, Deb? Sam is doing well. She's starting to walk. She received, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, she received permission from her doctor to put weight on her ankle because the ankle break is the thing that really kind of delayed what she was doing with her physical therapy mm. for her legs. So she is able to move around with a walker now. She walked for the very for the first time in two months. She stood on her own legs mm. just a couple of weeks ago. Her recovery has been swift. I shouldn't say swift. I mean, she's not running around. <laughs> Two months doesn't sound swift. Right, right. But I mean, she is very pleased with how much progress yeah. she is making. She is still, you know, dealing with some of the psychological impacts of that, you know, kind of a, a horrific, tragic event. 
And that's going to be an ongoing thing, but she's healing. She is working through it. And she's doing that in part by jumping back into some work. And she did this. She requested this. She was ready. Like I've been waiting for her to say, you know, when you're ready to get involved in things. She started off slowly and now she's picking up a few more things. She's not out there interviewing people and reporting, but she is helping on the back end. The stuff that has to be done in order for the paper to go out that nobody ever sees. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that she's helping out with and is a tremendous asset on that side. So she's slowly starting to come back. Excellent. And we are really looking forward to the day when she can be back in the office with us. In the meantime, we have posted for a reporter position. Yes. And a selfish plug for us here. We want applicants. So if anybody knows anybody who might be looking to return home to Door County, if by chance there's someone already here, we have a position posted and we'd love to hear from people who might be interested from near and far. Yes. And you can find the job description, like Miles said, online. And it's also in our paper. It's on journalismjobs.com if you want to take a look there. But really, I guess the big message is to check it out. If you're a writer, if you've never been a reporter per se, that doesn't necessarily preclude you from being a candidate. We're looking for writers for sure. And you do have to be able to write. That is a requirement (laughs) of the position. There are a lot of skills in a reporting position that can be taught. And what you cannot teach is passion for your community or passion for certain topics or curiosity or confidence and an ability to talk to people across an entire spectrum. So those are the intangibles that, you know, we cannot teach. So if you are at all interested in writing and you know you are a writer, this is not a desperation plea, you know, saying anybody who can write, please let us know. But It is saying that there are a lot of intangibles that go with this that aren't necessarily in the job description that would be, if if those types of things fit you as you know yourself, then by all means, give us a call. And also, we want to just mention that if people see that posting, that is not a replacement for Sam. We're looking forward to the day when Sam can come back full time. We just want to do more to cover our community and bring more news. There's, There's so much going on here and so much that people need to know. And then we're heading into an election year too. So we've got a lot on our plate and we're looking to bring someone in to help us out. Right. Go Pulse. The Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwani counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. And we're back. First up, uh, let's talk about room tax numbers. Room tax. That's always a topic of interest to people. They want to know how many people have been staying here. And you did a good report on that. You looked at the numbers from January to July. So what was, first of all, I guess the biggest takeaway? Well, I think it's always important to remind people that you know, the room tax numbers, what that is, you get that now it's the 8% lodging tax on every overnight stay. So for us, it is the best, most accurate gauge 
of tourism in the county. It does not gauge campgrounds or day trippers. And we've now had this data every year for 15 years, every month. So we can analyze month by month. So it's not like back in 06, 07, 08, when people would say like, oh, what does tourism look like? And you'd call like 10 hotels and it would all be anecdotal. Like it feels like it's up or it feels like it's slow. Or then you wait for the annual numbers, which was done based on like a, a survey and extrapolating numbers from other areas to come up with a number for you that really wasn't very reliable, I don't, I don't think. So the room tax numbers give us a really quality gauge of how many people are staying in the county overnight in a month's time. So, I can't believe it's been 15 years when I you know. said 15 years worth of data. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Anyway. It's a little concerning for those who, who just want the numbers to just go up all the time because they have been traditionally going up a little bit. They are down through July 3.65% countywide. The only communities that are not down are Sister Bay is up 10%. Town of Liberty Grove is up 6%. And the Village of Egg Harbor is up a couple of percent. Every other community is down. However, that's a little misleading because... The Door County Tourism Zone, so the numbers lag two months. Mm. So that's why we're talking about July. So whenever they release a report, that's from two months ago is the most recent data they have. So next month we'll have the August numbers and you'll get a fuller picture of the summer. But then there's late reporting entities that get added in later in the year or at the end of the year. So in July, they had twice the number of late reports than they had the previous July. And that's because they switched from a paper reporting system to an online reporting system, which you might say, oh, that should make it way easier. Well, like anybody, motels and logic operators procrastinate until <laughs> the last minute. And then when they try to use this new system, they maybe don't get the report in because they're not used to the new system and they're doing it at the last second. So it doesn't get in and included in this report. So it won't end up at the end of the year that we're down 3.6%. And there are some large properties in Sturgeon Bay that have not reported. And the tourism zone can't tell me which ones, which particular properties those are, because that's private information. But they could say they're larger properties that represent a lot of room nights. So Sturgeon Bay right now is 20% down. It will not be 20% down when all those are factors in. Did you say that it was almost half as many that they're down? No, I should clear, make sure I clarify that. So last year in July, there were roughly 130 lodging operators that reported late. And that's kind of par for the course for the tourism zone. This year, there's like 230. So almost twice as many operators and that could be individual Airbnbs, and it could also be a motel with 60 units. But so you do know up. that Sturgeon Bay has some of the bigger lodging facilities that are late reporting. Yes. So with that many numbers, is it anticipated that it's going to be kind of flat or maybe even just a little bit of growth? I would think that you'll get close to flat. Like yeah. I, would, I would guess, looking at, at that and what I've seen in previous years, that you might see that climb up to something like instead of being 3.6% down, maybe something around 2% down countywide. And so some of those communities obviously had really good reporting numbers because, so it's not even like across the board for the county that people were late. It seems like, I, I can't imagine there's many that were late in Sister Bay if they're up 10%, you know, but some of these other communities that were down more, I'd imagine a, a good chunk of that is due to late reporting entities. But the whole story is that it looks like that COVID bump that we had is slowing. We haven't reverted back to 2019. So in this report, I look back all the way to 2019, the, the last pre-pandemic year, because I think that's a, a good flatline base of like, here's where Door County Tourism really was. 
And then you had the COVID 2020 where it went down because obviously things were closed for like three months and then shot up in, at the second half of that year. And then 2021 was like the first, like, we're still in the pandemic. People aren't flying. People are looking for drive to destinations, safe outdoor destinations. And Door County really benefited from that. Yeah. And we're still benefiting from that influx of visitors that came in that year because we're still way up over 2019, but we're slightly down from the peak. Does that all make sense? It does. In 2022, the trend continued. So we did increase in 2022 as well, correct? Correct. Okay. And then now for the first half of 2023, compared with the first half, we are probably going to be about even. But we're still, just to give listeners context, so significantly above 2019. Can you tell us what those numbers are? Yeah. So for total lodging revenue, and that not just the room tax, but that would be the same percentage. Total lodging revenue is up 48% over 2019. Which is crazy. So from $45 million in 2019 to $66 million in 2023. That's nuts. It's pretty remarkable. When yes, you think it of, really like is. Like that, it's just a lot of money coming into the community. And some of that is STR growth. Some of it is, it's not a lot of new hotels because we've only added like ballpark about 100 hotel units. You got the hotel door, the open hearth lodge, and some odds and ends here and there. And then you mix that with a couple of hotels that come off the market in that's like in a little sister and things like that. So we have, it's not like we've added a ton of hotel rooms. We've added some STRs, but we've also added, and I talked to Juliana Beam up from the, the tourism zone administrator about this, of where do these increased room nights come from? Because we have about 28,000 more room nights filled today, this year than in 2019. And a lot of that is just increased stays in the off season. So we're actually filling more rooms in January, February, March, April, November, December, those months, you get a lot more room nights and that, that adds to that total. So and that's really interesting because it kind of corresponds with something we were talking about. We were talking about sales tax numbers and where those are. And like lodging tax, sales tax has also been astronomically higher than it has been in the past. But what I noticed when I did something on it a little bit earlier this year at the halfway point, it was those months that were higher than last year. It was January, February, March, where the numbers were higher. And then as you got into the traditional season, they started to to go back down. Kind a little of flatten bit. out. Yeah. And, and even go down a little bit. So it's interesting that those two correlate. And of course they would, right? You know, we have visitors here and they're buying. And we see it, you know, yep. you could drive through Sister Bay in, in what were traditionally like dead months and you're like, wow, there's people walking around. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's a lot of factors in that. It's not all COVID. I mean, towns have done more to make the towns more attractive, whether it be a lot more Christmas lights and a lot more winter activities to good restaurants being open more than like having two taverns open in every town. Yeah. And sure. And it's the discovery of COVID too, right? All of these people discovered Door County. And so maybe some of them are returning to their overseas vacations or going back somewhere else. But a lot of people are probably coming back up here because they discovered it and it's something that they want to return to. Another thing about your report that I found to be really interesting is that even though the overall room tax is slightly down or even even with where it was last year, the lodging owner's income is up pretty yeah. quite a lot. 
So the other factor in this is that average daily rate. So the yes. average daily rate's gone from $137 a night in that same period in 2019 to $220 a night. Over the 2019, 2019 to, this? to this year. Okay. And so. Hello, inflation. Inflation. And also just, it turns out that's what the market will bear. Mm. And people are willing to pay it. And if you add a bunch of STRs to the mix, so a single household that might have four bedrooms as an STR that has a nightly rate of say $800 or $600, that still counts as one. A hotel unit that is a one bedroom that has a nightly rate of $250 also counts as one. So you can see how the STR dynamic inflates the average daily rate because uh, we don't have a way to say per person sure. on that. But let's say you have a, you know, if I go on vacation and I get together with four four couple friends and there's eight of us in a house and we're paying 600 a night. It, you know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily a per visitor number. It's a, it's a per unit and the units are not all apples to apples. So that the increase in STRs is also part of that. So there's inflation, there's the market's going to bear more and there is the number of STRs and they're impacting that average daily rate in right. that each unit costs more. But it does raise a question too. Part of that, I wonder how much, and I, I don't, this would only be anecdotally that you could capture this, but you know, there might be people who used to come here in July and August who now that, that it's very busy, love to come up here more in November, December, January, when it's slow and they can talk to their waiters and waitresses and things like that. They might've shift. Some of those tourists might've shifted to the winter and new ones are taking over in the summer. That might be a small percentage of it. It could definitely be. I I've heard that anecdotally. Yeah. And then I wonder what does this mean long-term I mean, so for innkeepers, and my dad is one, and I know that they try to do more with less now because they can't find as many staffers. So that daily rate is actually even a bigger jump in income because they're probably doing it with like less turndown service, mm. less breakfast service, less uh, labor hours. The expectation now, people don't expect to get their, we would call it a daily cleaning when I was doing it as a kid. It'd be like, oh, that's a daily and that's a complete. Like a complete would be someone checked out and you got to redo the whole room. Daily would be you hop in there, make the bed, clean Hold up the, the garbage, towels, right. wipe the surfaces. I think a lot of motels aren't doing the daily anymore. So less labor, but a higher rate. So it's actually a more profitable business model, hmm. not counting all the other things that have inflated, but just purely based on labor. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting from an economic standpoint for our local lodging operators, all those questions, all those little bits that are dynamic. But if that average daily rate's going up, it, it says like, I wonder if it's a different visitor, right? Is there any risk that we become too expensive and we lose sort of, I don't want to say who we are, but like the type of visitor we used to get and hmm. are we pricing certain people out? Maybe, but it's just, those are all things that aren't like major things, but they're, or major topics that are in my mind, but I'm like, oh, that's kind of in the background here. Sure. So, and uh, this is kind of goes along with tourism, but it's a, a little bit of a off topic. I was wondering if October 9, 2023 should be a day that I remember because it is a day that I read a story in a magazine, a Houston magazine, and I think it was called City Page. And it was for Door County. And they referred to the unbelievably hot weather, hot summer that Houstonians have had. And to escape that kind of heat, a great place to go 
would be Door County, hmm. Wisconsin. I know that climatologists, and I've spoken to a number of them, and scientists are anticipating that there is going to be an influx of people moving to the Great Lakes region because of the moderate temperatures. We don't receive those intense highs and lows. So I was just wondering when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, it's beginning. So climate immigration is not just from another country to here. It's going to be from other states to here. It's why I tell all my siblings, like, just buy some land up here. Just buy it. (laughs) Like, it's, you're going to wish you had, or whether it be in your lifetime, your kids and grandkids will wish you had, because I think that's the case. When I talked to the author, Jeff Goodell, probably like five years ago, he came up here and it was an amazing get by Jared and the folks at the Washington Island Lit Festival. He was a Rolling Stone reporter and uh, he's written a couple of books about climate. One of them was The Water Will Come and he just released another one. It's about heat. And when I asked him, I'm like, well, you know, we don't have rising oceans here. It's not necessarily clear whether climate change is going to be a part of the Great Lakes water levels rising because there's other factors at play here. I said, so what do we got to worry about? He goes, well, you are in a good spot, but people are going to want your land. People yeah. are going to want to move to the Midwest. You're going to have more demand on your the land that you have if you are a climate neutral sort of place. Sure. He also did say like your cherry industry might be ruined, but because oh. <laughs> the cherry industry relies on the weather staying cool enough, long enough so that everything blossoms at the right time. And yeah. so in those years where it heats up early and then you get a frost and it can kill the entire crop, like it doesn't happen often, but it's happened a couple of times in my lifetime. So sure. he said, you might, you might have more of that. There's a reason that Door County and Traverse City work really well for cherries and Washington. And if our climate changes a few degrees, that might just push that, that kind of crop north. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting aspect of it. But yeah, he, he said the biggest thing would be exactly what you're talking about. It's yeah. people from the South, you know, the ones who like the heat might make it to Nashville or South Carolina. Those people might make it to Illinois and, and like people just might move northward. I can envision this horrible future where states have walls. <laughs> you have I mean, border look, patrol around states. Look at COVID. People wanted to put the bridge up. That's people true. People wanted to put a wall and a barricade up during COVID. That's like true. imagine if you had a, a major climate accident so yeah. over like a five or 10 year period. Right. So we got a so little off fun. track. Sorry about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Remember though, this is fall like fest we weekend. Saying, it's room tax and climate change yeah, right. intertwined. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, we'll be back in just a second. <laughs> We're going to change gears here. Okay. That's your room tax report. And we'll be back in just a moment. Talk a little bit about progress in Egg Harbor. Hungry for more great Door County stories? Pick up a copy of the autumn issue of Door County Living Magazine. In those pages, you'll learn more about the time an aging Curly Lambeau turned up on the sidelines of Gibraltar High School football practices. You'll find out why a nondescript post is much more than a light pole in Ephraim. And you'll be inspired by a family that made Sister Bay their home by the flip of a coin. Find these stories and many more on newsstands everywhere in Door County. And we're back. And I segued out talking about progress in Egg Harbor. Is it progress? What are we doing here? Sure, it's progress. (laughs) It absolutely is that highway redevelopment project that really has been something on the planning table for quite some time now. I think since they finished the last one in 1990, (laughs) they've been talking about the next one. Miles might be being a little facetious, (laughs) but it has been a long time. And there have been a lot of false starts and forward, backward, forward, backward for a number of reasons. So there aren't any parties that are overall, you know, to blame. And to be clear, every highway project I've ever covered in Door County 
when you get the first glimpse of like, yeah, the state's going to come through and do the highway in 2012, add three years. Mm. Whenever that first moment is that they say they're going to do it, just add three years. And then, so that's, that's your baseline. And I think that's part of their planning. Oh, I'm sure it is. Right. I'm, I'm sure they're just like, yeah, we're going to put it out as 2012. That yeah. town's going to come yeah. back with some demands and it, we're going to have hurdles. We're going to have an environmental review or something like that. And exactly. So I don't, the, the DOT never seems like all hung up on when, when a town delays it, it just seems like they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then the state delayed it too, uh, yeah. you know, a couple of times, but we're talking about highway 42, which goes right through the village of Egg Harbor. This is something, as Miles just alluded to, other communities have had to deal with most recently in Fish Creek. Mm -hmm. So we know it can be done. We know that these communities survive, but it's still a big deal for a small village to plan for something like this. And I'm not even just talking about the design. I'm talking about living with it as you go forward through a season. But they are finally at the point. So the State Department of Transportation was going to be doing a mill and overlay of the highway. So a new highway from south of Egg Harbor all the way up to where they did it before in Gibraltar. And so the village of Egg Harbor decided that it was the, the perfect time, as many communities do, to, you know, spruce up the... Wrapping a lot of stuff you want to do. Yeah. So they're urbanizing, adding sidewalk, bike paths, you know, parking, trees, doing a lot of different things, street lights. Burying power lines. And burying power lines through the core part, at least. And so they're doing a lot of different things. And that part of it is wrapped up. That's the part that the village is responsible. I got it. $2 million in grants to help defray the cost of this, of their improvements alone which come to about $10 million, but they borrowed about $7.5 million in order to be able to pay for their portions of it. Anyway, they're finally at the point where they're going to be putting a portion of it out to bid. Because of those grants, they're bidding it in separate phases. Mm-hmm. So the first part of it they'll put out in November, and then the second part of it they'll put out in January. If people want to know, and I'm sure they do, everything about this project, there is a pre-construction meeting on October 26th, it is at the Village Hall because the crest is being taken up by, I believe, the Right On Gala. Yeah, it is. So it is on October 26th, and it's at 6 p.m. There will be maps. There will be time construction timelines. There will be alternative routes. There will be everything, every bit of information that people need to know. WPS, Wisconsin Public Service, Officials will be there because you're going to start to see their work being done in November. So they're going to be moving poles. They're going to be starting to bury the lines in January or February. So they are starting their work and they're going to be there to talk about that. And then the village's engineer will be there to talk about it too. So that's the date to remember October 26th. This is not a meeting to come and give feedback and oh, come I'll on, Deb. Can we make their life this miserable <laughs> and just tell people, come in, let them know what you think and any changes you'd like to see. <laughs> right. This is, as Village Administrator Megan Sawyer said, this is a meeting about what we are doing and when we are doing it, and this is what's going to happen. Yeah. So they've had plenty of public meetings. They've completely redone the highway redevelopment project, I think at least once, but maybe even more than that, based upon feedback. And some of that feedback has been controversial, of course, because you really can't please everybody all of the time, but they're trying to construct the best 
scenario that they can. So they're done with all that and it's just information. So head to the Village Hall on October 26th and find it all out. You know what? uh, One thing I haven't thought of too much in covering, you know, as many of us at the Pulse have covered this over years, I think it started when Jim Lundstrom was still here and then Jackson was doing it. I was doing it. You've done (laughs) it. Oh my gosh. Wow. It's covered many phases as they've talked about this. But in looking at some of these other towns, when Ephraim redid theirs, they ended up having to bank and schedule. And I think they got money from the state to do some of this, but their back roads that were used as a detour just got crushed. Oh, Just destroyed. Gibraltar, when they redid their highway, and I don't know that they got reimbursement from the state because I don't think they banked on this beforehand, but some of their side roads got destroyed as those became the bypasses. You know, these are town roads that are not built with the base of a highway that suddenly get large trucks, school buses, everything else rerouted onto them. And so they crumbled. And then in Liberty Grove, I had just stopped by some construction crews that were working on the side of the road. And they noted that they had to chip seal Woodcrest, they said, because it's only a 10-year-old road, but it got destroyed when that became the bypass for Sister Bay. But I'm still annoyed that they chip sealed it. But (laughs) (laughs) So it's going to be interesting. I wonder if Egg Harbor, now they just redid Church Street, and I don't know. I wonder if they built that to a standard to absorb more of the beating or is this brand new road going to get beat up two years later as the highway gets redone or some of the other Harbor School Road or E. I wonder how those will be impacted by this. I haven't looked at the alternative routes yet, so I need to do that. And I don't want to say talk out of turn there, but I do remember early on them talking about the detour routes that the Wisconsin Department of Transportation had set. And those were crazy. I mean, you're almost turning down in Carlsville in yeah, order to get around to Egg send Harbor. You down county roads yeah, for truck traffic. Exactly. So their official highway detour yeah. is not what the locals will use. No, absolutely not. So if you want to find out all of that information, and we will have more information in the Pulse coming up on those detours and as we get closer to the work. There is one thing that I also wanted to mention. We talked, I think, on our last podcast about the pop-up roundabout. Yeah, Well, the pop-up roundabout is not going to happen. Apparently, it's not conducive with bicycling. You can't actually mix the two. Bikes aren't around. I I don't know. And there's also no accident data. It sounds like the county just said, no, this cannot happen. So it is not going to be happening. But one interesting thing is that Ken Mateus, who is a village trustee, He contacted me after our last podcast when we were talking about putting maybe a roundabout at Shipwrecked. And I said, no, they just dismissed that out of hand. Well, they did do that at the public meeting, but he said they did consider that prior to. And for various reasons, it would not, they they wouldn't be able to get enough land in order to be able to do it. Hmm. So they did consider it, Hmm. but it was not something that they could go forward with. So they, they fully, I guess, looked at all of the options. I'm wrapping my head around, as a cyclist, Yeah. like what would be hard about a roundabout compared to like a regular crappy intersection? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know exactly. I want to get more details on it. They were talking about it at a village board meeting, but it does seem like they took the standards and the reasons for doing a roundabout and applied it to a pop-up version. But I would think that a pop-up version would be... Informational. 
gathering, yeah, right? Yeah, like, like it would be a very cheap way to do it. Like you can't get a study done for less than twenty thousand dollars. You can do a pop up roundabout for what, like seven hundred bucks or something. Yeah, you said? it was like so, between seventy five dollars and a thousand. And they have no accident data. It at seems that. like literally the cheapest way to do anything from a public public work. That's like the cheapest thing I've ever heard of. Yeah, so from it, a public works perspective, it just kind of sounded like they were applying a lot of I don't know a lot of the requirements that you would need to do a regular roundabout. Like there is no accident data, I guess, at that intersection. And I wasn't surprised that there was no accident data there. But so I guess they're saying a warrant, it doesn't warrant a pop-up roundabout. But that's not the only reason by far. There were a lot, there are apparently quite a few. Without getting on the top step of my soapbox, I'll just say like, gosh, we think about traffic so narrow-mindedly Yeah, Like, If somebody were to go and just bring a bucket of sand and put it in the middle of that intersection and paint a circle around it, I wonder how long it would take for the highway department to come in. (laughs) That's about what a pop-out roundabout is. I have seen some local construction companies dump piles of gravel for more nefarious reasons than that. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so that's a quick update on Egg Harbor. Well, boo. Yeah, Try it. It's cheap. It's easy. It's a... It's not that busy of an intersection. You might learn something about other intersections, but okay, uh, off my soapbox. I am going to call the highway commissioner to find out about that. Moving right along. Yes. Last topic we want to hit on is a little bit about broadband. And there are some new updates, new developments in a couple of towns. What can you tell us? Yeah. You're a, so we will you have, live in broadband land. Well, sometimes I feel that way, but next week I'll have a full report on a lot of the different developments, but... For the purposes of this podcast, I guess the breaking things in broadband are the first... The it, top- my internet connection would be the breaking <laughs> things sometimes. Yeah, really? Is oh, a it- couple of weeks ago it went up, but oh. right? Yeah, my, my in-laws are Bears fans. They were up, pretty stoked to watch the Bears play Washington, and the internet went out. Because I, I rely entirely on streaming, and uh, there was a big outage right at the start of the Bears game, so I was momentarily getting daggers shot at me because these Bears fans... Ended up being the only game they're going to win all year, probably. So they were, how, <laughs> they almost missed it. We were able to. How long? It. How long? Oh, okay. So you were. It able was out to overnight. Game. But, yeah. Uh, mm. yeah. Well, the town of Bailey's Harbor is one of the first towns to really jump on board, bringing broadband to every single address, and it did get a significant over a million dollars a grant. It was the very first municipality to get a grant, and that was in. I want to say 2021 now. Could have been early 2022. Anyway, they got that grant and they selected Insight as their ISP, their internet service provider. And they just decided on Monday that they were terminating that partnership with Insight. It was a mutual termination. I guess it was going to cost more to build that project out than Insight had anticipated. And the press release that Insight put out indicated that it was not because of anything they did. It was just, it was going to cost more Mm. based upon other providers. It it sounded to me like they were kind of blaming the people who own the polls. (laughs) That's what it sounded like. (laughs) I don't know. know. That's what it sounded like to me. But anyway, it was a mutual decision from the town and Insight to, to discontinue the relationship. And so that is a brand new development. And then Bailey's Harbor will have a new internet service provider partner. Have they so, announced that yet? Or? 
Yes. So I believe that they have already decided to go with Bertram. Okay. Don't hold me to that. I don't know if it's official yet, Okay. but I think that that's the direction that they're headed. Okay. And then in Nassawapi, Nassawapi had actually selected Bertram as its internet service provider. And because of the really fantastic deals that some of the other municipalities are getting with AT&T, they decided to go back out to bid. Hmm. So they didn't have to terminate that contract per se, but they did decide, because I think, I believe that they did not sign a contract with them the way that Bailey's Harbor did with Insight because of the grant that they had okay. received. In any event, they're going back out to bid and they will be hoping to receive the kind of deal that the town of Egg Harbor and the town of Sevastopol got with AT&T because AT&T is pretty much, you know, in that same area. But there are a couple of other major providers who are now responding to these requests for proposals where they didn't before. So it's not just AT&T, but they're hoping to really be able to get uh, they want to see exactly what kind of a deal they can get. So in light of Insight coming back and saying this is going to cost way more than we initially thought, how concerning is that for the other communities or do they have like prices locked in? Because this just takes me back to early 2000s when I think it was, was it Brilliant Cities? Oh, Brilliant Cities, sure. You know, yeah. and, and this is a big thing for Door County Economic Development Corporation at the time. They were rolling this out in like 05, 06 saying, Brilliant Cities is going to come in here and they're going to do fiber to the home throughout the county and here's the price. And then, you know, didn't go anywhere. And then a year later, they're like, well, actually it would cost way more. We didn't account for the rock in Door County and stuff. So is this happening with all these other providers too who came up here and said like, for, like it always surprised me when, when people are like, oh, we're going to be able to do this for a couple million dollars. And I was like, I've always been told that it's just like way, way more and impossible to do. And then suddenly everyone's saying they can do it. So I don't, I don't know, is, is this a, are some of these companies going to flake? I don't think that is the case. I think it is truly the case that if you haven't done it before, then perhaps you don't know exactly how much it's going to cost. You can only estimate. And you just want that signature on the dotted line, so you. I don't know. Make I mean, numbers. <laughs> I listened to a, a proposal. It was a couple of months ago. Not a proposal. A presentation from We Energies, and that's the parent company for Wisconsin Public Service. And that, and I, his name is eluding me now, but it was a really fantastic presentation because he talked about those make ready costs that any ISP is going to need to know and if they're going to be stringing fiber aerially, which is, you know, about half the project in a lot of these cases. And stringing fiber aerially just means putting it on the poles. Yes, yeah. putting it on the poles. So it's not that We Energies, he said, does not want to work with these providers to get fiber on their poles, but they have federal regulations. They need to make sure that the poles are adequately spaced. And some of these companies are thinking that it's easier than it's going to be. So he was deflecting back. Mm. He was pushing back on providers who are saying that it is totally them. He said so much money is flooding the marketplace right now that all of these providers are coming into the area and asking for these make ready costs. And they don't necessarily have the people that are going to be going out there overtime doing this because their primary goal is 
to provide power to their $4.6 million customers. <laughs> so, I mean, 4.6 million customers. And that is what their primary goal is. But yeah. they are allowing fiber on their poles, he said. His name was Dan Sandy. It just came <laughs> to me. But they are allowing people on their poles. It's just that it's not... It's not as simple as maybe some of these companies are thinking that it's going to be. Anything else on the broadband front no. that we should uh, catch up on? Well, the uh, one of the last state grants is now out, and there are six municipalities who are applying for that money. And until the federal money comes to the states for the states to be able to grant that, then it's called bead money. Really, they're, they're, the legislature did not refund broadband. So there won't be any more state grants after mm -hmm. this. So it will be that just that federal money, but I'll have more on that in next week's paper. And also got some really good drilled down data on school districts and how many children, how many households are served. And mm -hmm. it was really fascinating information. And this is on Door County's FiberNet okay. website. Yeah. Great. Yes. Well, Deb, thanks for covering all these topics with us today. We all went on for an hour. Hopefully, a couple oh my listeners gosh. are still with us. And uh, that'll do it for this week's podcast. And we'll talk to you all again very soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. This podcast is produced by Miles Danhausen Jr. and edited by Rachel Lucas. If you want to help us continue to create more great episodes just like this one, visit our website at doorcountypulse.com. 